From all of that love out into the world. But upward, inward, and outward, I like to say that the art of living is loving. Love is the ingredient. Like you can have everything in your life together. You can have health. You know, you can have a good family that you came from. You can have a career that you find fulfilling. You can have all these ingredients. But if you do not have a ton of love in the midst of that life, it might be a good life, but it's not an extraordinary life. Do you have everything going for you? Your job is going great. You've got money saved up in the bank. You drive a nice car, wear nice clothes. Everything seems to be going your way. But you've still got a haunting, empty feeling inside. In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to show you how to eliminate that feeling once and for all. And it comes through experiencing the love of God and then sharing that love with the world around you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as he begins his message, The Art of Living is Loving. So I'll never forget when I went to college, my parents, pretty much everyone said, oh, wait for it, you're going to gain the freshman 15. You know what that is? It's like when you go to college and all of a sudden you can go to eat the cafeteria and everyone gains 15 pounds. And parents love that kind of thing because they just pay like the meal plan and then they can eat as much as they want to eat. So I heard about this for a long, long time and, you know, and being all Italian from the East Coast, everyone's like, listen, you know, once you start to bulge out, it's never going to stop. So so I was getting a good hard time and I remember I got to college. Now, being all Italian from New Jersey, I was raised by people who really did a great job of cooking. So like in my family growing up, food is a love language. So like, you know, when you see my grandma, she feeds you. My dad tells this story when he wanted to marry my mom. He had to go meet my mom's grandmother, who would be my great-grandma, who we knew as Nani. Nani kept giving him food. My dad was all tiny, so he just kept eating it. And after he left the house, he went down the block, he threw up, you know? I'm like, Dad, that's nasty. He's like, but it was so good. I didn't mind eating all of it, but I couldn't keep it in anymore. So food was a love language when I grew up. And so like literally you grow up, you know, my mom, she could cook. You know, my grandma, she could cook. Every aunt, uncle, every family member who I wasn't really sure if they were a family member, all of them could cook, right? And so then I go to college, and sure enough, it's like, okay, the freshman 15, I walk in, and there's like this buffet of food, and like the chicken was rubbery, the meatloaf was had like a green tint to it a little bit. And it kind of freaked me out like a lot, you know, because I remember thinking, I'm like, this is not what this stuff's supposed to taste like. So I had a bright idea. I was going to become a vegetarian, Now, I didn't do it for social reasons. This was long before hipsters were anti, you know, industrial food complex and stuff. It's like, I just didn't want to eat meat that was not meat-like. And so I remember when I went home for my first break from college, you know, my grandma was just like, what is this that I hear that you have become a vegetarian? What is wrong with you? You know what I mean? And I'm like, well, grandma, you don't understand. I mean, like, you know, you and mom, you guys cook so well, and it's just amazing. Everything tastes like it's perfect. Like, you never have to eat out. And then I went to college, and she started laughing. She's like, oh, everything's nasty, huh? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, we can fix that. I'm like, oh, yeah? She's like, I'm going to teach you how to cook. 
So I thought to myself, this is a good idea. I mean, I'm a single guy. If I know how to cook and I'm kind of handsome, you know, I got a college degree. I might have a shot here, you know? And so I'm like, okay, grandma, you got it. And so me and my grandma, we sit on down and my grandma's like, the first thing you need to know how to make is you know how to make sauce because you're Italian. And so everything goes good in sauce. So she's like, and so she's starting to show me how to make this thing, right? And so I, and I'm making it and she's like talking me through it. And it's really beautiful because my grandma, I mean, she's an Italian grandma. So she doesn't, she's not working off a recipe book. She's not measuring anything out. You know, half the time she's eating what's in the pot. And she's like, well, I need a little more of this. It was totally gross, unsanitary, but it tastes delicious, you know? And so sure enough, my grandma, we made my first pot of sauce, but it's not quite right. It's not perfect. And so I'm eating it, and like I grew up, literally, my grandma's sauce was so good that we would walk into the kitchen, and we would take bread, and we'd throw it into the sauce thing, like literally from across the room. Because if you got it in there, then you had to go fish it out. You had to eat the bread with the sauce dripping all over it. It was so awesome, you know? So my grandma literally, and then she's like, run after you with the wooden spoon. It was a beautiful life, you know? (laughs) And so I tasted it. I'm like, Grandma, it's missing something. Grandma, what's it missing? And she got a big smile on her face. She's like, ah, I forgot to tell you the most important ingredient. You got to put a lot of love in it. And she got this big smile on her face and she gave me a big sauce bread kiss right on the side of my face, you know. And she gave me a big hug and she said, oh, I love you. And she gave me this big warm hug. And I've never forgotten that story because in a lot of ways, that's the key to an extraordinary life. I mean, if you think about life, like, so, like, I had to write this book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, because I wanted to write a book about life, a life that we're all living, and can we make sure that we get the right ingredients there, right? I mean, like a good sauce, you need the right ingredients, you need your basil, and you need your garlic, and you need your olive oil, and you need your salt, if you really like it that way, and sugar, if you don't know how to really make a sauce. No, I'm just kidding. I know, that's a big thing right now, like... Do you, are you supposed to put sugar in the Italian sauce? We can talk about that later and talk about the acidity of the tomatoes and does it really need sugar or we just like sweet tooth and all this stuff. Anyway, so if you want to have an amazing life, and I believe that you do because it's the only life that you get to have here, so it's like you better get it right. You need the right ingredients, but even if you have all the right ingredients, if you don't have a lot of love in it, it's not going to be an extraordinary life. And what's beautiful about this is that we've learned that from Jesus. Why? Because when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, Jesus said, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you need to love your neighbor as yourselves, implied as you love yourself. That's where we get upward, inward, and outward from, right? Like upward is loving God, and then inward is loving yourself because God loves you. And then outward, you live out from all of that love out into the world. But upward, inward, and outward, I like to say that the art of living is loving. Love is the ingredient. Like you can have everything in your life together. You can have health. You know, you can have a good family that you came from. You can have a career that you find fulfilling. You can have all these ingredients. But if you do not have a ton of love in the midst of that life, it might be a good life, but it's not an extraordinary life. So I wanted to make sure that as we're kind of breaking this open, that we give due attention to something as simple as the necessity of love. Now, let's do this. How many of you think that the world could use with a little bit more love? We all agree that the world needs more love in it. And here's the thing. Because of who Jesus is, 
we have access to the most extraordinary love in the world. And as the followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that love is the centerpiece of the ethics by which we live. We need to make sure that at every turn, whether it's upward with God, whether it's the way we view ourselves because of God's love for us, and as we move out into the world, that love is essential and necessary and primary in who we are. Now, what's amazing is, is if you think about that, I know when I've thought about that, I realize all these ways that I don't do a great job loving. And what I love about God is that he knows we're all in process. He knows that none of us have it all together. So I want to call to our remembrance today the necessity of love. Because you could have all the right ingredients in your life, but without a lot of love in it, it's not going to be an extraordinary life. So in order to unpack this, I want to unpack this with the most famous passage of the Bible about love, 1 Corinthians 13. Go ahead, open up your Bibles there. You probably, some of you don't even need to open up your Bibles there because you've been to enough weddings, you got this thing memorized. But I want you to go to your Bible there because even if you haven't memorized, I want you to be able to read along. 1 Corinthians, it's easy to find. In your New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right, And then you have the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Then you have Paul's letter to the Romans and then 1 Corinthians. So all those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all longer books, and then 1 Corinthians. And of course, as you have to say, chapter 13 is between chapters 12 and 14. Just to close in all those loops, I want you to read along. It begins this way. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So we begin with this reality that love is better. Love is better. All the things listed here in each one of these verses, they're good, but love is better. Now, the Apostle Paul begins by first saying, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So the idea is, though I have all the eloquence that a human can come up with, though I know all these different languages, even if I know the language of heaven, but if I don't speak with love, I become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Now think about that for a second. I mean, even take a moment. Notice here on our Crossroads Vancouver stage, we have our little house for the drummer. And the reason we give the drummer a house is because we realize that drummers don't have a house unless they marry somebody. (laughs) Every drummer knows exactly what I'm talking about. So we got the drummer a house here because we wanted to give the drummer a little sum. And we realized if he didn't have a house, he'd be in trouble. But notice, has anybody here complained about the sound of the cymbal since we gave the drummer a house? See, cymbals are loud. Right, I've been playing music my entire life, and when as the bass player, I stand right next to the drummer, and I have a ringing that comes in and out of my ears because the overtones of those cymbals are so loud. Especially when I was playing, you know, rock and roll and heavy metal, and those drummers, like, you know, no sense to hit the drum to make music. You got to slam that thing so the thing goes like this, and it sounds crazy, and so so your ears get all jacked up, right? Now, how many of you like standing next to a cymbal all day long, every day? Anybody like love that? Like, I just want that cymbal ringing in my ear 24 hours a day. Some of you do. I bet your spouse feels the same way about you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But listen, if you speak 
with the greatest eloquence. You have the language of heaven, but you have not love. You are just a headache waiting to happen. That's what this means. So eloquent speech is good. Tongues is good, but love is better. From there, notice what it says. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. See, now what he says, he's like, listen, not only is eloquence good, but love is better, but now all sorts of spiritual giftings, prophecy, the ability to understand mysteries, Unique supernatural knowledge, even the gift of faith that Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed in the sea, it will go. But if you have not love, it says you're nothing. So spiritual gifts are good, but love is better. Wow. This reminds us, of course, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, where it says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Wow. In a very educated society like ours, love is better. You could be the wisest, most credentialed person in your profession, but if you do not have love, it says, notice, I am nothing. Wow. And then verse three says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Now this speaks of all sorts of sacrifice whether you are exceedingly charitable with the resources that you have to help people who are impoverished, even the most ultimate sacrifice for somebody to give up their life for their faith in Jesus. It says, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. See, sacrifice is good, but love is better. This reminds me, Jesus said, John 15, verses 12 and 13, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for you. Because Jesus is saying, in a sense, what you need to realize is things are good. We shouldn't neglect eloquence. We shouldn't neglect spiritual giftings. We shouldn't neglect all sorts of sacrificial living, but love is even more important. Now, are we cultivating that? Love's a choice that you make. Love is a decision that you make in the moment to be different than what might come naturally. And Jesus' idea for the greatest commandment is I want you to live in what is best or better for your own lives. Now, from there in verse four of 1 Corinthians 13, we learn something really important. That's the fact that love is specific. Love is specific, why? Because the apostle Paul defines love. He doesn't want to leave it up to chance. He doesn't want you to think for one second that any idea you have about love is love. He's saying, I want to define it for you. And the love that's being spoken about here, this love that is better, is very specific. Now I want to read it to you. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, love suffers long, or some of your translations say love is patient and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
Now, this is a kind of a powerful definition of love, isn't it? Now, there's a couple of things that you need to know about this. First, the definition of love is all described using verbs, which speaks to the fact that love is something that you do, right? They're all verbs here. And this is what happens. This is who we become when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This specific definition of love, this self-sacrificial love, this love that is not needing to be deserved to be given, but is given proactively, it's the work of the Spirit. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love. But not only that, these verbs are all in the present continuous tense in the Greek, which denotes actions and attitudes which have become habitual that are completely being repeated over and over again. So what that means is that this love is not something that you understood or practiced in the past. It's something that maybe it great it happened in the past. It has to be happening right now. And I think what happens for us, for many of us, is we can look back on a time when we were really committed to the art of living that's loving, this specific love in the Bible, but now that love has begun to grow cold. Maybe in certain areas of your life right now, that love has been growing cold, where there was a time, maybe on your wedding day, right? I love when I see couples when they're getting married. I always tell people, as someone who's officiated many, many weddings, when the bride comes around the corner, I never look at the bride. I always look at the groom because that is the best moment of the entire wedding. When a man is standing there and his eyes see his bride in her wedding gown. And listen, I've never once been at a wedding or officiated a wedding where they didn't say, I'm going to love you with everything I got for the rest of my life. Never one. Anybody been to a wedding like that? A wedding that they don't say that? But then you fast forward like two years or 20 years. And all of a sudden, what happens? Where is this? I am going to pursue you with all that I have. See, I can see it in my own life. I love my bride and land. We've been married for 13 years. And as I'm preparing this, I'm like, man, I could look back at a time when I was more passionate to pursue my wife's heart than I am right now. And I'm like, oh, Lord, okay. You need to do a fresh work. Lord, I need to get back to the most important things. And I confess that before you all because I know the same is true for many of us. See, the love that God wants us to have is specific. It's important. And it's something that needs to be practiced today. Now, what's fascinating is Karl Barth is a very well-known theologian. Now, you guys know this. When I quote somebody, it doesn't mean I agree with everything they've ever said. And, you know, it's, we live in a weird day and age where if you quote somebody, everyone thinks, oh, they're agreeing with everything that person ever did, which is nuts. It's just a good quote. Karl Barth's brilliant, but I don't agree with everything that Barth stood for. And, but what's fascinating is Karl Barth broke down this passage into three different ways. He said, first from verse 4 to the beginning of verse 5, that it deals with love and the darkness within ourselves. And then from the middle of verse 5 and verse 6, it deals with love and the darkness in others. And then verses 7 and the beginning of verse 8, love and the apparent darkness in God. Now, what's funny is is years and years ago, I, I wrote this framework down and I see it to be true. First, it's us and then it's others. And then it's how do we deal with who God is? 
But you know what I realized just studying it for this message is that Karl Barth broke down the specific definition of love into inward, outward, and upward. Ho, ho, ho. So I think if Carl was here today, he'd endorse my book. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> this specific definition of love is powerful. Now, here's what's really powerful. You guys want some homework to do for the rest of your life? Nobody raised their hands. Okay, so if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your homework for the rest of your life. Okay? I'm going to give it to you right here. I want you to take verses 4 to the beginning of verse 8. And every time you see the word love, I want you to put Jesus' name in there. Check it out. Jesus suffers long. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. Jesus thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but Jesus rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. And Jesus endures all things. Jesus never fails. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. That reads like hand in glove. And that is why Jesus is Savior and Lord. And that is why Jesus was an acceptable sacrifice unto his father for my sins and for your sins. That is why I am more grateful today than on the day that I got saved to say that I believe in Jesus. Because Jesus never fails. And Jesus is so patient. He's so kind. And Jesus doesn't keep records of your wrongs. And Jesus doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but Jesus rejoices in the truth. And that is why Jesus deserves our allegiance and our loyalty. The Bible says that we bow the knee to Jesus. We say, Lord, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my life. And that is why Jesus laid down his life for us. Because when it boils down to the specifics of what true, real love is, Jesus is rock solid. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, why would you not want to follow true love? Why not? I mean, what would hold you back from following true love? I know what holds us back. The fact that true love absolutely transforms our lives. And for many of us, we don't want our lives to be transformed. We're nervous that certain things that we like, Jesus is going to ask us to step away from. And you know what I've learned? That's exactly what he does. Because certain things that we like are not right. Certain things that we like are not loving. You know how I know? Remember your homework? Now I want you to put your name in there. Put your name in this definition. Daniel suffers long. How many of you guys ever see my impatience at work? Don't raise your hands. Just pray for me. Jesus is... Today, Pastor Daniel showed us that the art of living is loving. As followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that love is the centerpiece of the ethics by which we live. Pastor Daniel talked about all the ways he messes up when it comes to loving people and asked us to evaluate how we're doing it loving too. We have access to the most extraordinary love in the world. And when we add our own love, our lives are extraordinary too. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. 
But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life, and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share the standard of love. When you take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, the standard is set pretty high. Pastor Daniel is going to invite you to put your name into that passage and see how you size up against the love we're called to. Can you say that you are patient and kind? Love is the central defining characteristic of a Jesus follower. Let's learn how to love better together. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Upward, Inward, Outward. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.